0: Thanks for listening to the Movement Church podcast. Movement is located in Newport, Kentucky, and you're always welcome to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030. Hope you enjoy this podcast. as well. But we're in the Sermon on the Mount series, and, and before we jump into this, I just want to encourage you, if you have the Movement Church app... You can go in there and you can go to the Sundays tab and find all of these sermon notes. And kids, you can get the handout if you haven't already at the back to kind of follow along. We're going to do some old school fill in the blanks and different things like that to kind of help you engage with us. But we're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 and we're going to start in verse 13. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along. So Jesus is starting off his Sermon on the Mount. He's done the Beatitudes and now he's into this teaching. in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So I don't care if it's a sermon, a speech, a presentation at work. There's, there's a kind of a, an easy way to get things started. And the easiest way to get things started and really to get people on your side and to engage with them is to clearly identify the problem, or maybe more specifically, the enemy. Because usually this is what we do, and this is the first notes there if you're, if you're following along. Usually we see in the world, what we see is, a, is, is, a, is in terms of us versus them. So if Jesus were gonna follow that pattern, if if every speech, political or otherwise, presentation you ever heard, it's always identifying the problem, and we, the audience, are gonna solve it together, right? And to do this, it kind of clearly lines out who the enemies are, where the problems are, and it's just kind of an easy way to kind of, we're all on the same team. Now, think about it this way. Remember sports, right? You remember remember when we would get together and and watch things on TV but usually there'll be all that media coverage on the week leading up to it the most common trope you'll hear from players in those post-game interviews has to do with that us versus the world mentality right they gave us bulletin board material they they were looking past us they counted us out no one gave us a shot and we shocked the world it's like well you're like on ESPN Plus and like five people watch, but good for you, you shock the world, right? Or, or think about the ways in which that we define things. We kind of align our little huddles and tribes and, and the ways in which that we identify and connect with other people. If we stay with sports, you've got the, the UK and the Louisville fans, right? You've got the University of Cincinnati and the Xavier fans, You've got the Ohio State fans, or I'm sorry, the Ohio State fans, and then everyone else who finds them entirely obnoxious, right? right. I'll, I'll, that'll be a conversation when I get home. I'm married to an Ohio State fan. But it could also be about the news channel we watch or the, the political websites we read. It could be the political party we align, to, align with or, or even how we respond in these last four months. You know this whole idea of saying they are right. We are wrong if only people would listen to me right if I've got to I've got to find a way to convince them or I've got to protect myself and my people my family my group my tribe from everyone else But what does Jesus do in this moment? Remember it said there at the start of chapter 5 that the masses the crowds came to Jesus that it, was this, it was this kind of large group, and so in that group, you would have plenty of people from all walks of life. And what he's doing here is he's giving these people a voice, he's giving them agency, he's giving them power. That we read about this these powerful uh, or these they're sure in this crowd there would be the powerful the influential but there would be a lot more of the overlooked the poor the forgotten in this society the the top-down structure of things was incredibly pronounced it was it was far more divided than we are even today the lines between social classes was very clear and the and the gaps between these groups and classes was huge and Jesus comes along and starts talking about salt and light. So let's helpfully really kind of identify some of these metaphors. First off, look at salt. Salt is this thing that keeps the rot away. Uh, maybe you grew up, and I know my grandmother used to do this, that in her garage or in her little kind of shed, from the rafters would be this bag that was hung, and it was this white bag, and it was full of a country ham. You might know, know about the country ham, right? And it's just shoved full of, of salt, right? And it cures and it ages out there. And for us, it was Christmas morning. You would dive into the, Chris, the the country ham on Christmas morning. And it would wreck you for the rest of the day because you ingested more salt than any human should in a month, right? But salt, what it does is it prevents the rotten decay, particularly in the ancient world. Salt is essentially a defensive thing. Salt prevents things from going bad and so when jesus says salt that's what people assume about well salt is that thing that we do to prevent things from going bad well then jesus starts talking about light he talks about light overcoming the darkness i think we're all familiar with the ways in which darkness which is evil that metaphor kind of comes through and light is something that overpowers the darkness light is something that gives incredible truth and clarity to things if you've ever gone camping If you've ever been in that situation, maybe for some reason you couldn't sleep, it was hot, it stormed, whatever it was, there's there's something about the sunrise, right? it's, It's invigorating. There's something about sitting around a fire. And if you have little kids, or maybe you're a little kid at heart, you know, sometimes the dark can be pretty scary. And so Jesus is saying here, this light, this light is an offensive thing. It's something that goes on the offense. So salt is defensive, and he's saying that you're supposed to be the salt of the world, but he's also saying you're supposed to be the light of the world, you're supposed to be on offense. Think about it this way. Think of it as a, a superhero declaring their mission, right? They're going to protect people, but they're going to bring justice. They're going to go out and protect. They're going to go out and bring justice. And like we talked about last week, the word that gets translated as righteousness in many of our Bibles is also translated elsewhere in the New Testament it's the same root Greek word as justice and so maybe we just need to step back and say well justice is simply this when God gets what God wants when things are made right but this idea that Jesus is essentially saying that you are all superheroes these masses that you have power you have agency you have responsibility to go forward this flies in the face of social conventions See, see, in that day and age, you had the Romans on top. They had conquered. They had ruled. And the Caesar, the, the, the leader there, the, he had this propaganda system uh, that on coins and on, on artwork and all sorts of public proclamations, he was declared to be divine, to be the Son of God. The Caesar would, would co opt all this. And he actually had a, a kind of a worship system set up in the pantheon and the multitude of Roman gods. The Caesar was a part of that. And so the Romans were all about keeping the power. So they they shared some of the power with the local elites, gave them some autonomy because the Romans were very clear. We want you to kind of run things, but we want our cut. We want what's coming to us. And the people that were there, those local leaders, realized they were only in power because the Romans allowed them to be there. And then the Romans would come through and say, we're going to tax you. It's anywhere from 70 to 90%. Of Attacks on the people it keeps them right where they are pushes them further and further down So here in this crowd of masses the vast majority of people have been conditioned to believe that the best they can do in life is survive The best they can do in life is simply to survive. have been there's no hope for climbing the ladder There's no hope for a better future for your kids that those above them, they've indoctrinated those below them to say that you are there for a reason, that God is punishing you. You must have not done something right. You're not working hard enough. This is just your lot in life. And then Jesus tells them, he tells them that they have been called to persevere, to protect, to defend And to go on the offensive and go and change things and go and make things better in the will of God Listen to it again here from a from a different translation But understand this this whole idea this whole big Concept that what jesus is saying here to sum it up in a simple statement is that following jesus means you have a part to play It's not outsourced to somebody else. It is partly on you So how do we do this? Hear the same passage from a different translation, the, the ESV, the English Standard Version. Here it's rendered, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set of the hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. See, hear this, hear this. If you were hearing this message for the first time, if you were in that audience, this would be shocking, scandalous stuff. Because all the other religious leaders were not talking about this. They were talking about pursuing some sort of morality, talking about being content with your lot in life, but staying there and making sure those taxes and those tithes keep coming in. And Jesus comes out and says, No, 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 no. You are all called to play a part in this. In fact, Jesus tells us that our good deeds, our good works, are tied to giving glory to God. It's tied as an act of worship. So for Jesus to say this, that the, the, these, these ways in which we can give, we're supposed to give in a way that, that changes things. But if you know the rest of the story in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus will go on, he'll say that we're supposed to give discreetly, we're supposed to serve discreetly, we're not supposed to do so in a showy way. So which is it? Should we do the thing where Jesus says that you're not supposed to allow your, your left hand to know what your right hand is doing when you give? Are you supposed to do it in a way that is quiet and discreet? So which is it? Do we let our light shine? Do we put that forward? Do we do good deeds in front of others that they may see those deeds and glorify our Father in heaven? Or should we do things quietly? And I think what happens here is that it comes down to motives, right? We all know this. It comes down to the heart. But here's something that we have to understand, that the why we do something is just as important as what we do. See, Jesus is cautioning against and commanding us not to do things that are good just so we get a good Instagram picture, right? Not just so we can be seen as get a pat on the back from those around us. I think we know this. I don't think that's revolutionary, but I think we need to consider that the opposite of this can be true as well. That there could be times where we can be prompted to do something, where we can be challenged to do something. We feel, in our heart, we feel burdened to help, to serve, to speak up, whatever that might be. And when we don't do it, that's just as much of a breakdown of God's intent as it is when we're doing things that are good for the wrong motives. So I think Jesus is calling us to a a much more holistic, much more total and complete way of viewing the world. Because I know for me, I have done both. I have done things to look good, and I have done things that I know are good, and I haven't done them because I was afraid of how I would look. And so Jesus comes to the masses and says, "You are salt. You are light." Jesus is cautioning us. Yet he's commanding us to make sure that our motives, our heart, in the right, right way. Because the truth is, out there, whatever that out there is for you, this is difficult. This is challenging. Now, this is, this is something that my mom or my grandma would really frown against what I'm about to say. Okay? I just want to get that for the record. But just stay with me. Jesus says something similar. Okay? So I'm going to hide behind Jesus because here's the fact. When you look out in the world, there is a lot of something. There's a lot of poop. And yes, kids, I'm asking you to write that in your notes. Out there in the world, there's a lot of poop. Now, we can find all sorts of different synonyms, right? We could go around and we could, we could come up with all sorts of colorful ways to say this differently, right? We could come up with ways which words that wouldn't quite fit. I, I think we could talk about how, well, the internet is full of this. We could talk about the, 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 our workplaces, our homes, our, our friend groups is full of this. You, you thought I was talking about another synonym, didn't you? But we're not going to do that because Jesus offers something there. Because when we look out in the world, our internet, our job, our, our conversations, there's a lot of this junk, right? But Jesus says this in Luke chapter 14, which is called the Sermon on the Plain. And it may have been the exact same sermon, but it probably was something else because Jesus would go around and teach similar things to, similar, to different crowds. He says this in Luke chapter 14, verse 34. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile it is thrown out so jesus is talking about manure i'm talking about poop okay i'm going to go with jesus on this one all right but why would you put salt on a manure pile hear your thought about that jesus talks about okay okay it's not even worth throwing out on the manure pile well think about it this way and i had to learn this this week that if you live in an area where there's not a lot of trees not a lot of wood But you gotta cook, you gotta keep warm, you gotta see at night, you need something to burn. And dried out manure is a good fuel for a fire. And what they found was, is that if they put salt on the manure pile, a chemical reaction, they didn't fully understand it clearly because I don't even understand it, but they would put the salt on the manure pile and it would create this reaction that the fire that would burn hotter, longer, and brighter. But it was kind of a last resort, right? You know, you, you, put, you cure your meat and you do all these different things and you keep things so it'll last you and then, well, at least we'll put salt on the manure pile. I think what Jesus is saying to us here is that out there, it could be a one giant manure pile. And I think our tendency, our, our kind of heart desire is to wall people off. I want to stay away from that junk. I don't want my kids exposed to that junk. I don't, want, I don't want my family to be threatened by that. I don't want that toxicity to come in. And I think there's definitely a conversation, there's a time and a place where those walls serve us well. But more and more often, I am convinced that Jesus calls us to be the salt that goes into the manure pile and makes it something better, makes it something more useful so jesus is saying here is that the really crappy aspects of life the goal is not to avoid them the goal is to transform them and we don't we don't experience transformation we don't see transformation through morality right your kids do something wrong and they say why why do i why can't why can't i do that and you say because i said so right It doesn't work. It doesn't work. We know this, right? It doesn't work to do the whole argument, do what I say, not what I do. That just doesn't fit. We know that we can't legislate morality, we can't force people to do these things. And so often we get frustrated with this reality that there's bad stuff out there, there's crap out there. And so we get angry and we turn to hate. But that doesn't change things. Crafting a perfect argument that is logically locked tight doesn't change things. Because if we want to change the world, we simply have to do this, the most difficult but the most easy thing in front of us, we have to live out the gospel. The gospel, the life, the teaching, the death, the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So you want to change something, you serve like Jesus did. You serve in a way that's what's hard. You forgive like Jesus did. You forgive others who haven't asked for it, who don't deserve it. You love not in an emotional way, but in a sacrificial way. You teach and model truth, your words and your actions. that salt pointing back to truth you live out the legacy of jesus that listens to those who haven't been heard you make sacrifices that are uncomfortable You go into those places into those arenas of life where you think I have nothing to add This is a toxic place and you have to find ways. How can I bring the gospel here? You don't yell louder. You don't try to shame people. You don't play into this us versus them mentality You don't just try to try to get them to force them. You don't you don't do that. You stand for truth You stand for justice and righteousness. You don't hold on to things tighter. You are more generous You are more open-handed to people. You are more present. You are more like Jesus. And maybe most importantly, you stay open to the work of that gospel in your life, to the work of the Spirit. How do you follow Jesus? How do you be salt and light? I don't know. But I think it starts by showing up it starts by inviting God in. It starts by, by having this thought. Maybe my plans, maybe my understanding is, just pales in comparison to God's. It pales in comparison to what is in front of me from God. And so that is very easy to say when things are going well. But when things are tough, when things are a challenge, when things don't make sense, when tragedy strikes... We have to find ways to be salt and light We're gonna to have to be creative with this We're gonna to have to figure out where are those lines? Where are those? Where are those helpful walls and where are those unhelpful walls? And we're gonna to have to be like those people hearing this message in the flesh And they heard this and it changed them And it changed them not because Jesus was clever It wasn't because the analogies made sense. It changed them because it brought truth. We have to see ourselves as agents of the Gospels, agents of salt and light. Not because we're so good, because of what God has done. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. They're gonna lead us in another song here. And the, the important thing about this song Isn't the musicality, isn't the lyrics. It's not the great talent on stage. The important thing about this song is that it helps us start from a place of worship, from recognizing what God has done. For us to be salt and light, it doesn't mean we simply bear down and try harder. For us to be salt and light, to be agents of the gospel, it doesn't just mean, well, we're going to work really, really hard at this. It means we're going to start with worship. We're going to start there and start by putting ourselves in the right place. That right place where we surrender to God. When you guys are ready, I invite you to lead us. If you're willing, if you're able to stand and join us in singing, feel welcome.